Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Media Evangelization in Ewing, New Jersey, welcome to Come to Me with Jim Manfredonia. Stay tuned for an hour of talk, reflections, and meditations on topics that are important to today's Catholics. And now, here is your host, Jim Manfredonia. Very good day to you, my friends. Welcome once again to Come To Me. My name is Jim Manfredonia. As always, it is a great joy to be here with you as we come together at this hour every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, praying you're having a blessed, happy, and holy February 3rd, 2022, the Feast of St. Blaise, the day we get our throats blessed. Now, I know some parishes now wait until the weekend maybe to do that, but um, uh, today is the day we get our throats blessed. And those of us in this business <laughs> need our throats blessed. Although I remember when I was a kid, I used to get what they they called it tonsillitis. I guess it was strep throat. I still have my tonsils. And they called it tonsillitis. I would get it every change of seasons, it seemed. And inevitably, when I got my throat blessed, it wasn't long after that that I got tonsillitis. But anyway, I haven't had it in a while, I should say. Please, God, let's keep it away. Keep it far away from me. Um, but yeah, tonsillitis. Remember that? But if you look it up now, it says strep throat. So, but I never had my tonsils removed. So, and uh, there was a time there when I was in, uh, I guess, my thirties, where the doctor was saying, "Let's take them out." No, <laughs> I don't want to talk like this. Anyway, hoping you're having a happy day, and thank you for being. So Thursday already, my goodness, and. Uh, Today is Catechism Day, so we're going to go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and continue our teaching from the Creed today. How is the Son of God man? And we'll go there later on. But after our prayer, I want to go back to Familiaris Consortio. You know, next week, uh, starting on Sunday, uh, the 7th, Sunday the 7th, let's see, 4th, 5th, 6th, well, February 7th through the 14th is... Uh, uh, um, World Marriage Week or something, the National Marriage Week in the church. So we're celebrating marriage. And kind of our, our teaching today, uh, we talked about the conjugal communion yesterday and, and today uh, the indissolubility of marriage. Uh, very, very important to hear these days. But first, let's pray. So wherever you are listening or watching, we're coming to you on our Facebook page, on uh, video uh, here on Facebook.com uh, slash Domestic Church Media. Also coming to you uh, video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash domesticchurchmedia, and all of our other media sources, platforms that we use. Of course, our radio stations here in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and our uh, being present on the Amazon Echo device, and the Google Home Assistant, just say play domestic church media, and we'll Come on those devices. If you have streaming audio from your tablet, your computer, um, if you've downloaded our free Domestic Church Media mobile app, you can get everything. You can get the streaming audio. You can get the streaming video on our YouTube channel. It's all right there. Plus a plethora of other uh, information you can go to, the entire Bible, the entire catechism, the readings of the day, morning prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, 
is there all all kind of saint of the day, just all kinds. I hope you do. It's free. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't download it. It's free. And all those things that you might have needed multiple apps for in the past, they're all contained right there on the Domestic Church Media mobile app. So we come to you in all these ways, uh, kind of, uh, and I'm going to go to it after our prayer, uh, today's gospel, you know, where Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. So we'll get to that. Let's pray first, though, my friends. We're praying our prayer of consecration to the Holy Family of Nazareth, consecrating our families. And um, and I'm going to ask you today as we pray, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time, a long time, over 26 years. And uh, I sit here in this studio all by myself, well, you know, just by myself. And I come to you, and uh, I don't really do a lot of uh, hardcore preparation for these programs. I always just go into the chapel and spend some time with Jesus in front of the tabernacle and uh, just ask him to guide me and lead me wherever he would have me go. And I never know, you know, we talk about it all the time, we never know who is receiving uh, these broadcasts. I don't know how many listeners we have. I don't know how many, you know, we just don't keep track of those things. I, I told our Lord in the very beginning, that was all up to him. I'll do this, but you have to take care of where it goes. But now we go around the world. <clears throat> but I never really know <clears throat> who's listening or, or what impact it's having. And, and I have to say, and I, yesterday after the program, I received a, there was a phone message on our voicemail here at the station from one of our listeners who was thanking us uh, for this apostolate and for yesterday's reflection. And I you know, it touches my heart. So thank you, my friend, who who did leave that message for us. I was very touched by your your message. And um, I'm going to ask you, brothers and sisters, now as we pray to pray for this person, the Lord knows who it is, uh, for that person's needs uh, as well. You know, we're praying so hard for so many things. And it all starts with the family. So let's consecrate our families to the Holy Family. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We entrust our family to you. O Blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth, you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. O Saint Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work, we entrust our family to you. O Holy Family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, open to the gift of new life, help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. In our prayers to St. Michael and Our Lady, as Holy Father asks us to pray every day, to protect the church from the attacks of the devil, and we add to that to protect our families and our homes and our country from the attacks of the devil. 
God, let's pray for the whole world because we see the activity of the Prince of Darkness all over the world, you know, all over the world, the things that are going on, not just here in our own little part of the world, but all over the world. The effects of sin are so present and so obvious, and Satan is having a heyday. So let's pray these prayers. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray for us. Saint Pope John Paul II, pray for us. And today, Saint Blaise, pray for us. And Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And again, my friends, I thank you so much for praying together. Happy you are here. Uh, you know, it's a typical February day today, isn't it? Cheryl and I were having our morning coffee today and looking out the window and saying it's so gray and misty and just a dreary, dreary midwinter day, isn't it? Although not not cold enough for ice or snow uh, yet, but um, one of those days where you look around and you think, oh, we're all longing for spring, right, at this point, I think. Uh, we've only had... Uh, a month so far of this kind of cold winter weather, but I think we're we're pretty fed up in that um, that animal saw its shadow yesterday, the groundhog, and uh, <laughs> they say six more weeks of winter. But I don't know. I, I looked at the long range forecast, at least the the next two weeks, and it just seems to be in the upper 30s and mid 40s uh, for the next couple of weeks. So uh, certainly no snow, please God. Um, anyway, I'm happy you're here. And as I said yesterday, you know, again, let me just kind of put a little addendum on what I said earlier about the very, very touching phone message I received yesterday. When I come to you like this, I and I've been saying this for as long as I've been doing this for twenty over 26 years, I'm just the instrument. It really is the Holy Spirit that works through this apostolate. We just do what we have been called to do. And it's through no merit of our own, and, and I don't take any credit for anything in that area. We're just, you know, we're, we're just the brush in the artist's hands. That's, that's what we are. We're inanimate. You know, if you look at a great, a great masterpiece work of art, whether it be a, a painting or a composition or another, any other, a sculpture, you know, it's the artist himself that does the work, the, the utensils that he uses, the, the brush, the chisel, the pen. They're just the tools in his hands. And I, I say this in all humility because I really believe it. That's what we are. We, we, we're just an inanimate tool, and only by the hand of the master artist are we able to bring to you what he creates, you see. And that's, I've said that from the very beginning. I felt that from the very beginning. I, you know, I, I've told the story. I'll tell it real quickly again in case you're new to the program. But the first time I ever, ever, ever did 
Catholic radio. And it was in December 1965. No, not 1965. I was in fifth grade. <laughs> December 1995. December 1995. Oh, you can see. They're going to put me away soon, I think, and say, okay, <laughs> put him out. He's done. December 1995. And it was, I was still working for FedEx still in my secular job, and a friend of mine who was hosting a program at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a station down in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, I had met him through his program, his radio program, and he called me up uh, one day and he said, Jim, I, I can't do my program on whatever day of the week it was, Wednesday, Thursday. Can you do it? And I thought, well, I've never done this before, but sure, why not? And I remember, <clears throat> and I tell the story, I brought with me the Bible, the catechism, everything John Paul II, who was the Pope at the time, everything he had ever written. I spread it all. How am I going to fill an hour? My goodness, how can I do a whole hour of, radio, of, of live radio? And, you know, I didn't know. And we started the 3 o'clock hour. The, the, the engineer gave me the cue. We prayed. And I closed my eyes. I read, I think, one sentence from something John Paul had written, and then the Holy Spirit just came through. And I looked up at the clock, and it was 5.04. I went, where did that time go? See, it was God's time. So that's what this is. This is an apostolic work. It's God working through us, working through this, this apostolate. So anytime anybody, I get a, I said a beautiful message yesterday, and I do get lovely notes regularly, it's not us. It's not me. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. We take no credit for that. But thank you for your kindness. And it's by your kindness and your generosity that we're able to open these airwaves and keep them open to bring that message to you. And So please, uh, you know, as you listen, as you... Uh, I received uh, emails last night from one of our listeners up in North Jersey who was... Uh, very generously making very generous offers to um, support us during the Radiothon with matching gifts. Uh, we're so thrilled about that. And, you know, I was saying to the bishop yesterday uh, when he was recording his program, and I said, you know, bishop, because he was saying the bishop's appeal is coming up, I said, you know, I got to say, I find, and of course the, we, we reach the Diocese of Camden and Philadelphia and parts of Metuchen, but the bulk of our listing area is here in the Diocese of Trenton. And I said, the, the, the people in the Diocese of Trenton are so enormously generous. Anytime we ask and, and let them know what we need, they open their hearts and, and, and provide. So with our Radiothon coming up April 6th, 7th, and 8th, please keep that in mind because we want to keep these airwaves open to make this, as I said yesterday, a haven of hope you know, to be that guiding light that guides your heart and mind and soul into safe harbor, the safe harbor that is the loving embrace of our Lord. Because this world is imperfect. We have many, many difficulties, many, many challenges. But we know that one day, by God's grace, we're going to walk through the entryway to paradise, through those golden pearly gates, and we welcomed into the loving embrace of our Lord, who will say to us, and 
enter into the joy of your Father's house. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's why we're here. just want to just help you along the way. And, you know, speaking of that, today's gospel from Mark, chapter 6, Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were, however, to wear sandals but not a second tunic. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave from there. Whatever place does not welcome you or listen to you, leave there and shake the dust off your feet in testimony against them. So they went off and preached repentance. The twelve drove out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and, and my brothers and sisters, as, as members of this mystical body, we are called regularly to do just that, to go out into the world, to, to, to preach the good news, and if we don't have the uh, desire sometimes to do that, you know, sometimes life is tough. And I'm, just, I'm just tired. Know that the Lord walks with you, and he will support you just by how you live your life. To go and whoever we meet, share the good news and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important for us to do that. Now, let's go to um, continue with Familiaris Consortio. This is a beautiful apostolic exhortation from St. Pope John Paul II, 1981. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he uh, wrote this exhortation after a synod on the family. And as I said, next week is World, what do they call it? I'm going to go back and see if we get the official title because I don't want to mess it up. Um, let's see, where do we? National Marriage Week is next week, February 7th through the 14th. And World Marriage Day is Sunday, February 13th um, in our church. And we should be promoting and building up marriage and family life. Because and I, I saw it again today. Every now and then this meme pops up on Facebook. And uh, let's pull it up here real, real, real quick. Oops. Where did we go here? Let's see. There we go. Um, Sister Lucia, the Fatima visionary, said the final battle between the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. We're, I mean, we're seeing that right now. We're seeing that right now. But she said, however, Our Lady has already crushed his head. So he knows that. He's done. But the battle rages on until the last day. And so our church has designated February 7th through the 14th as National Marriage Week, and World Marriage Day is Sunday, February 13th. So please, in whatever way you can, uh, do celebrate marriage. And we're going to go to, again, continue where we left off yesterday, in, in Familiaris Consortio, the Holy Father, St. Pope John Paul II's beautiful ex exhortation on the family, Continuing his discussion or his teaching about conjugal communion, he said conjugal communion is characterized not only by its unity, but also by its indissolubility. 
And there is a quote then from the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes, uh, that says, as a mutual gift of two persons, this intimate union, as well as the good of children, imposes total fidelity on the spouses and argues for an unbreakable oneness between them. Remember Scripture when uh, the people questioned our Lord about divorce. And they said, well, Moses allowed it. And Jesus said, well, Moses only allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts. But that's not the way God intended it. God intended the marriage between a man and a woman to be lifelong until one of them dies. The indissolubility of marriage has always been from the Lord's mouth. <laughs> you heard it within Scripture. There's, no, there's been no change to that. And in Gaudium et Spes, which Holy Father St. Pope John Paul II quotes here, as a mutual gift of two persons, the intimate union, that is the, the, the conjugal communion between husband and wife, as well as the good of children, imposes total fidelity on the spouses and argues for an unbreakable oneness between them. Now, without going into a lot of detail about... Um, Catholic uh, annulments, just a very basic understanding of what that is. It is an annulment in the Catholic Church is not a, what they call a quote-unquote Catholic divorce. That's a grave misunderstanding. Uh, when an annulment is uh, declared by the Church tribunal, what that annulment uh, determines is that there was never a marriage to begin with. Even though the, the couple may have stood before a priest or a deacon and professed their vows for each other, their love, and then, you know, the, what the church determines through witnesses and, and you know, the, the, the testimonies of, of as many parties involved as possible, that there was something at that moment, at the, on that day, that prevented a marriage from even existing in the from the first place. You know, couples promise, let's say here's an example, a couple promises uh, to welcome children from the Lord. That's part of the marriage. And they say, I do. Will you welcome children? You know, I do. But if one of the parties, the, the, the husband or the wife, deep down was thinking to him or herself, said, well, I say that, but I don't really, I don't really mean it. I'm going to use birth control throughout the entire marriage. I don't want kids. Well, that, then, then they, they, they weren't being honest and that marriage doesn't exist. So that's what a, an annulment is. It's just saying it's not, okay, a marriage existed, now we're going to dissolve it. No, absolutely not. I'm there. An annulment determines that a marriage never, never existed from the, from the, in the first place. So the church teaching is still, from, as I said, from the, our Lord himself, that divorce is not an option here. God intended when you promise your spouse and you make those vows that that marriage is lifelong. And of course, sadly, there are situations where maybe in, in the course of a marriage, there's, a, uh, <coughs> there's infidelity, there's abuse, there's th the other factors that requires the couple to separate and maybe civilly divorce. 
it doesn't, a civil divorce does not negate the sacramental marriage. That requires an annulment process. So just to clarify. John Paul goes on to say, it is a fundamental duty of the church to reaffirm strongly, as the synod synod fathers did, the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. To all those who in our times consider it too difficult, or indeed impossible, to be bound to one person for the whole of life, and to those who, uh, to those caught up in a culture that rejects the indissolubility of marriage and openly mocks the commitment of spouses to fidelity, it is necessary to reconfirm the good news of the definitive stature of that conjugal love that has in Christ its foundation and strength. Being rooted in the personal and total self-giving of the couple and being required by the good of the children, the indissolubility of marriage finds its ultimate truth in the plan that God has manifested in his revelation. He wills and he communicates the indissolubility of marriage as a fruit, a sign and a requirement of the absolutely faithful love that God has for man and that the Lord Jesus has for his church. So, Again, Holy Father here is reconfirming the definitive nature of that conjugal love that has in in Christ its foundation and Christ's love for the church and God for man. It's not just something arbitrary that the church made up or that uh, um, you know was there to to make it difficult for people. John Paul writes that Christ renews the first plan that the Creator inscribed in the hearts of man and woman, and in the celebration of the sacrament offers a new heart. Thus the couples are not only able to overcome hardness of heart, but also and above all they are able to share the full and definitive love of Christ, the new and eternal covenant made flesh, just as the Lord Jesus is the faithful witness, the yes of the promises of God, and thus the supreme realization of the unconditional faithfulness with which God loves his people, so Christian couples are called to participate truly in the irrevocable indissolubility that binds Christ to the church, his bride, loved by him to the end. The gift of the sacrament is at the same time a vocation and a commandment for Christian spouses, that they remain faithful to each other forever, beyond every trial and difficulty, in generous obedience to the holy will of the Lord, what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And, you know, those of you who are married, you know, I know I married 37 years. Cheryl has put up with me for 37 years. Um, but as I said yesterday, you know, there comes a time when you come to the realization, as you have your difficulties, you have your, you know, we, we have had our moments, we've had our, our, our troubles, you know, not always been easy. But there was never a thought that, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always get divorced. It's not the way to enter into marriage. That's why this, you know, here about, especially when it, as it regards celebrities and people of uh, enormous wealth who require their intended to sign a prenuptial agreement, saying that when this or if this marriage ends, you know, you only get what you had before you came in. Well, that's kind of assuming that there's a possibility that you're going to get divorced, isn't it? I, sadly, and I don't, I don't, I don't know his faith. Um, 
former Beatle, Paul McCartney, who's still alive, was married the first time. His wife sadly died. His second marriage, once his wife died, he got married again. And uh, there was no prenuptial agreement signed. He didn't want to sign one. He, he was, as I read and as I understand, he was entering into this marriage feeling that this is, you know, the love of my life. I'm going to be married to her till we, one of us dies. Well, there was pre, no prenuptial agreement. <laughs> sadly, I don't mean to be chuckling, but sadly, didn't work out. The wife, uh, you know, but, you know, God bless him. He did. He went into that marriage saying, you know, there was, there was no, uh, I'm entering into this. Now his next marriage, I'm not quite sure what the situation is. But, uh, you know, the, the point is, is that this is indissoluble, that we enter into this covenant, uh, into this sacrament. Um, as Holy Father John Paul said, it's a vocation. It's a, a commandment for Christian spouses that they remain faithful to each other forever, beyond every trial and difficulty, in general obedience to the holy will of the Lord. So you work through, you know, you have those moments, you have those difficulties, you have those trials, but you work through. You seek counsel if you need it. I mean, there's plenty of, and there's so many things today that could get in the way uh, of that commitment, sadly. Um, but we have to understand that, that this is a lifelong commitment. Marriage is a lifelong long union between one man and one woman. Of course, in our church, as a sacrament, it is something that we know is indissoluble. So that's from St. Pope John Paul II's Apostolic Exhortation Familiaris Consortio. We'll do more of that next week. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, and go to the catechism and continue our teaching on the creed. So you stay where you are, my brothers and sisters. I'll be right back. Sixty seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. In the history of the world, only one tomb has ever had a rock roll before it and a soldier set to guard it to prevent a dead man from rising. And that was the tomb of Christ on the evening of the Friday call good. What spectacle could be more ridiculous than armed soldiers keeping their eyes on a corpse? But sentinels were set lest the dead walk, the silent speak, and the pierced heart quicken to the throb of life. They said he was dead. They knew he was dead. They said he would never rise again. And yet they watched. They remembered that he called his body the temple, and that in three days after they had destroyed it, he would rebuild it. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. One of the things that we often think about in our spiritual lives is how to do something big for God. But really, most of the time, we should focus on how we can do something small for God. It's these small things that help us consecrate our ordinary daily activities and help us do everything for Jesus Christ. Catholic Answers Live. Heard right here on Domestic Church Media, weeknights at 6. When you give in to thinking that's ripping you to shreds, that deflates your confidence, that caves into all your fear, you're not just thinking negatively. You're thinking in a way that's unholy. 
God wants his people to face everyday life not just redeemed from sin, but with redeemed attitudes, redeemed thinking, a redeemed sense of who they are. Stop beating yourself up between your ears all day. No wonder why you look tired all the time. St. Paul wrote, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You should think like someone who believes in a God who created you with purpose, who gives meaning to every experience, even suffering, who bestowed dignity and royalty upon you, and who destined you for eternal glory. And why should you think that way? Because it's all true. So when the way you think builds you up instead of ripping you down, that's not just positive thinking. That's godly and holy thinking. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com on EWTN Radio. Father Benedict Groeschel. There are legitimate differences of opinion in any religion. There are differences of opinion in Catholicism. But in Catholicism, you expect that people will take the teaching of its supreme authority seriously. To go diametrically opposed to those teachings is to not be a Catholic. Someone in the name of Catholicism is sponsoring the destruction of human life lives of unborn children. And they got the name Catholic on the door. The highest authority in Catholicism and the encyclical Humanae Vitae, Evangelium Vitae, is absolutely clear that no Catholic can support abortion and that Catholics are responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Every single day, I get to help our listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show wake up, find out what's going on in the church and the world, and then walk with them as we all seek to grow in knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith. I mean, how could it get any better? The Sunrise Morning Show with Anna Mitchell and Matt Swain. Heard right here on Domestic Church Media weekday mornings at 7. 60 Seconds with Mother Angelica. It's like the, the brides, you know, 10 were very, very fervent, and they had oil in their lamp, and they had oil, extra oil. Here were 10 that didn't, they had oil in their lamps, but no extra oil. Here the bridegroom is coming, and those who had just the oil in their lamp all went out. They said, give me some of your oil. And they said, hey, we can't, lest we too ran out. Now, the first thought in your mind is, they're uncharitable. Why didn't they share, right? I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing. But see, when we die, my friends, when the bridegroom calls you and me, there's no more time to get oil. You've had five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. You've got to repent. You've got to go ahead of time and put oil in that lamp. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Well, welcome back, brothers and sisters, on this beautiful feast day of St. Blaise. I know uh, some parishes, of course, they have less throats today, but uh, some parishes wait until the weekend to get more people. Uh... But hopefully we get our throats blessed soon, right? Um, let's see. What are we doing here? Well, let's first... Re- 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 <laughs> I 
Yeah, I know. He's saying, why is he still on the air? <laughs> Isn't he old? Shouldn't he be retired by now? I don't think so. Although, you know, now having turned 67 in this past December, so 67, I don't feel it. In fact, I went to the doctor this morning just for a quick uh, checkup. You know, um, keep me in prayer because on March 9th, March 9th, I do have to go into the hospital for some minor back surgery. They're going to go in there, and I pray, pray, pray. I've been having this back issue for the past few years, and there's a bulging disc pressing against nerves, and a couple of discs have stenosis, and this very fine doctor who has come highly recommended over in Pennsylvania is going to go in and take care of it. It's only like an hour, hour and a half operation, he said, an overnight stay just for observation, and then I go home and back to business. But in leading up to that, you got to throw all this. I got to go for to a cardiologist. I got to get blood work. Today I had to go to my uh, primary care and get medical clearance. But he checked me out, and I mean, my blood pressure was one twenty over eighty. It was it was good? I mean, my heart was good. My lungs are good. I feel good. I don't feel like I'm 67 years old, whatever that might be supposed to be feeling like. I don't know. I know when my father was 67, I thought, boy, is he old. <laughs> and he was retired. He retired at 65, and then he, you know, he, he, not me. I'll be here for as long as the Lord allows me to be here. I'll be behind this microphone as long as I can keep coming to you and sharing the good news. So I feel good. But keep that in prayer. It's, uh, I, I don't... They, they say I shouldn't be driving after that for a couple of weeks. So I don't know that I can get into the studio here, but I can certainly do my program from my home studio if I have to. Um, I don't know. I'm praying that that will. The past, I guess right around Easter last year, it, it my back got very, very bad and uh, all summer long. And so anyway, we've been, we've been working with the neurologists and the neurosurgeon, and we all decided, you know, let's just get let's just get the operation and get it done. So. Keep that. I've never had an operation in my life, so, so I'm not nervous about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting getting this whole thing taken care of. But anyways, so keep that in prayer. Um, I feel good. Hope to be here for as long as the Lord allows me to be here and uh, move, keep moving ahead, right? So it, with that in mind, let's go to our catechism. And we're continuing with the teaching from the Creed. Uh, this section, How is the Son of God man. And paragraph 470 in our catechism says, because human nature was assumed, not absorbed, in the mysterious union of the incarnation, the church has led over the course of centuries to confess the full reality of Christ's human soul with its operations of intellect and will and of his human body in parallel fashion. She had to recall on each occasion that Christ's human nature belongs as his own to the divine person of the Son of God who assumed it. Everything that Christ is and does in this nature derives from one of the Trinity. The Son of God therefore communicates to his humanity his own personal mode of existence in the Trinity. In his soul, as in his body, Christ thus expresses Humanly, the divine ways of the Trinity. The Son of God worked with human hands. He thought with human mind. He acted with human will. And with a human heart, he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us. 
like to us in all things except sin. Christ's soul and his... Well, let's, before we get there, let's stay, just kind of reflect on this a little bit. When we stop to think about Jesus Christ, we say true God, and he is the Son of God, he's the second person of the Blessed Trinity, true God. He has that divine nature. But through the hypostatic union, he also has his human nature. And the Catechism, just to make it more of a, of a uh, um, reality for us, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, worked with his human hands. He thought with his human mind. He acted with a human will. And with a human heart, he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly become made one of us, like us in all things, except sin. Now, we know he was tempted. You know, I, always, I often think of our Lord, you know, and we, we know, I mean, the Son of God. But, but we don't really see a lot of images of Jesus laughing. And that always struck me. <laughs> Even smiling sometimes. I see a lot of images of Jesus smiling. But if he is like us in all things except sin, he certainly had a sense of humor. He and his apostles, I would think, of, you know, after a long day's journey of, you know, from going from village to village, teaching. At night they would, you know, camp out, sit around the fire, have some dinner, and have conversation, and, and just like you and I would have conversation. In his human nature, something struck him funny. If he was, we know that there were certainly instances in his uh, earthly life that, that, that he was sad, he cried, he wept when he heard about Lazarus dying. We know then on the other side of that, he must have had also a very good sense of humor and a sense of joy and, 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 and was able to, to laugh about things and, and smile about things, just like you and I do. Everything like us. Sometimes we think, okay, you know, Lord, you don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. How silly is that? Of course he understands. He took on our, he, 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 he uh, assumed our human nature. He knows everything. He feels everything and has felt everything that you and I go through. He felt pain, obviously, as he was going through his passion. But even before that, even before, you know, he may have in the carpenter shop one day hit his thumb with a hammer. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Ow! Ow! You know, just like us. In every way. And so we, we think of our Lord in his divine nature as the Savior of the world, as the Messiah, as the second person of the Blessed Trinity, now reigning uh, with the Father and sitting at his right hand in heaven and beautiful. But his remember now, his, his, his human nature also ascended with him to heaven, now in a glorified state after having risen from the dead, now in a glorified state, which is the promise for you and me. When he was transfigured, that was a, 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 you know, kind of a foreshadowing of what was to come for us as well. Um, so in paragraphs 471, our catechism says Christ, Christ's soul and his human knowledge. Um, 
Apollinarius of Laodicea asserted that in Christ the divine word had replaced the soul or spirit. Against the error of the church, con- uh, against this error, the church confessed that the eternal Son is also also assumed a rational human soul. This human soul that the Son of God assumed is endowed with a true human knowledge. As such, the knowledge, this knowledge could not in itself be unlimited. It was exercised in the historical conditions of his existence in space and time. This is why the Son of God could, when he became man, increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, and would even have to inquire for himself about what one in the human condition can learn only from experience. This corresponded to the reality of the, his voluntary emptying of himself, taking the form of a slave. And, you know, we read that, that Jesus, as true man, you know, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the virginal womb of Our Lady, nine months in the virginal womb of, of Mary, being brought forth by her, needed human nurturing, needed to be fed, needed to be clothed, needed to be cared for, needed to be nurtured, needed to be taught. His human nature needed to be taught. Uh, he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. He learned. St. Joseph, you know, imagine uh, as the f- father or the head of the Holy Family, uh, educating his son in the faith, Blessed Mother, uh, you know, just like our mothers did with us or we did with our children, teaching children, you know, uh, stay away from the sharp objects, don't run with scissors, all that kind of stuff that we had to learn along the way. Jesus had. It wasn't a foreknowledge. His human nature had to learn these things. And then in paragraph 473, but at the same time, this truly human knowledge of God's Son expressed the divine life of his person. The human nature of God's Son, not by itself, but by its union with the Word, knew and showed forth in itself everything that pertains to God, such is, first of all, the case with the intimate and immediate knowledge that the Son of God made man has of his Father. The Son, in his human knowledge, also showed the divine uh, penetration he had into the secret thoughts of human hearts. By its union to the divine wisdom, in the person of the Word incarnate, Christ enjoyed in his human knowledge the fullness of understanding of the eternal plans he had to come he had come to reveal. What he admitted to not knowing in this area, he elsewhere declared himself uh, not sent to reveal. So there was that, obviously, that, that, that divine wisdom in the person of Jesus, who, was, who is the Word incarnate. And then the Catechism talks about Christ's human will. Similarly, at the Sixth Ecumenical Council in Constantinople in 681, the Church confessed that Christ possessed two wills and two natural operations, divine and human, They are not opposed to each other, but cooperate in such a way that the Word made flesh willed humanly in obedience to his Father all that he had decided divinely with the Father and the Holy Spirit for our salvation. Christ's human will does not resist or oppose, but rather submits to his divine and almighty will. So again, it's it's difficult for us to understand. It's difficult for us to comprehend in any way and, and, and... to understand that being both true God and true man, they were not opposing each other, but there was a cooperation between the two. Um, Paragraph 476, Since the Word became flesh in assuming a true humanity, Christ's body was finite. Therefore, the human face of Jesus can be portrayed 
At the Seventh Ecumenical Council in Nicaea in 787, the Church recognized its representation in holy images to be legitimate, that the Word becoming flesh, assuming a true humanity, Christ's body was finite. You know, he died a human death. He, you know, he, he died on the cross because as a true man, he suffered that horrible passion and the crucifixion and all that led up to that, that he suffered uh, in his human nature. His, he, he died. At the same time, the Catechism says, at the same time, the Church has always acknowledged that in the body of Jesus, we see our God made visible and so are caught up in love of the God we cannot see. The individual characteristics of Christ's body express the divine person of God's Son. He has made the features of his human body his own to the point that they can be venerated when portrayed in a holy image. For the believer who venerates the icon is venerating in it, the person of the one depicted. You know, we see images of God the Father, you know, as an older man with a beard on a throne. We see images of the Holy Spirit in the form of a, a dove, because Scripture says that at one point the Holy Spirit descended, at our Lord's baptism, descended over him as in the form of a dove. But God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are true spirit. Jesus took on human flesh. So we see, as the, whole, as the Catechism says, in, that in the body of Jesus, who took on a human nature and human flesh, we see God made visible. Our invisible God now is made visible. The second person takes on human flesh. And the individual characteristics of Christ's body express the divine person of God's Son. So, again, this, this true God and true man trying to, to comprehend it or understand this mystery is not an easy thing. But we know that you know, the images of God the Father are of the... Uh, imagination of of an artist. The image of the Holy Spirit is the imagination of an artist. We, we, we use a dove because Scripture tells us that at one point in, in, in our Lord's life, at the moment of his baptism, that the Holy Spirit descended down over, the, over, the Lord, over our Lord in the form of a dove. That doesn't mean that that's the, that's the, uh, the form of, of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus we know. Isn't it neat how we have uh, the Shroud of Turin, which you know, has been studied for centuries and most recently undergone enormous, and they still can't figure it out. They still can't figure out how this happened. There have been many hypotheses and many misinformation uh, 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 regarding it. We had the very special blessing uh, about... Uh, seven years ago of going over to Italy, up to Turin on pilgrimage. We took a group here from the radio station uh, to Turin when the, the shroud was on display to see the actual shroud. And there, you know, although it's not a, it, it certainly is venerated as a holy relic in the church, um, nothing has been 
proven by science that it's the actual burial cloth of our Lord, but every 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 uh, thing points to that. There's no other explanation for it. So we have an actual image. I think recently they did uh, a 3D image of the the man in the shroud, and it was a, based on what you know everything that's in the um, contained in the shroud. The image they created a 3D image of our Lord. Beautiful. Again, it's not you know it, it's it's not been definitively determined that this is the actual burial cloth, but has been venerated for centuries as as that. And uh, there's no explanation to say that, it, proving that it, it couldn't be. There's no forgery, certainly. Um, and everything points back to it being the actual burial cloth of our Lord. So we have this image of, of the actual Savior of the world, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, in his human nature. But we can never have that of God the Father or, or God the Son. And then the, the Catechism says, Jesus knew and loved each of us and all during his life, his agony and his passion, and gave himself up for each of us. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And that is a quote from, uh, I don't know who it was a quote from, sorry. Uh, he has loved us all with a human heart. For this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol that Love with which the divine Redeemer continually loves the eternal Father and all human beings without exception. So this beautiful, you know, we, again, we have the, the, the great feast of the sacred heart of Jesus, and we see many images of that sacred heart, that Jesus loving us with his human heart, uh, and the sacred heart pierced by our sins for our salvation. That his, you know, when you pray the, 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 uh, sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, and you meditate on just the agony in the garden, what our Lord was going through that night in Gethsemane, in his human nature, the suffering, so much so that he was he was sweating blood and understanding what he was about to undergo. Yes, true God, but again, assuming that human nature is going to undergo a passion that in his human nature was going to be experienced and felt and and suffered as it, any human person would. He wasn't exempt from that because he had a divine nature. His human nature, and that's the reason, took taking sin and death upon himself as the true sacrificial lamb. It wasn't, I'm going to go through the motions here, but I'm really God, so I'm not going to really feel this too, it's not going to be such a bad thing for him. It was horrible because in his human nature he felt every everything. He experienced everything that any human person would feel and experience in that passion and eventual crucifixion. And he died a horrific death on that cross, as any human being in that situation would have died, and felt it, experienced it, suffered it. So when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, true God and true man, we believe that Jesus is indeed, as we say, true God, but also true man. And everything that comes with that, everything every way, in every way like us, except for sin. He could not sin because of that divine nature. He could not sin. It was not within him in that nature. 
That's why Our Lady had to be preserved from original sin to then give him untainted flesh, unaffected by the original sin of Adam and Eve. It all makes perfect sense, you know. So many people, sadly, today and, and for centuries, but even more so today, I think, with the secularization of our world, uh, will do everything they can to minimize that reality. But it is such a, a beautiful mystery when you really stop to meditate on it and think about what our Lord did for us, what our God did for us in sending us his only begotten Son into this world to suffer and die for us, to bring us salvation. And the beauty of that, that gesture that, as I love Bishop Sheen's quote, it, it split time in half, <laughs> right? We have the time before Jesus and the time after Christ, the year of our Lord. So powerful a, 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 an event was that, and so important a human figure was he that he split time in half for us come and save us from sin and death. I believe in Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Okay, so my time is up. Now tomorrow, Friday already, come back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Please and join Cheryl and me for Friday Live. We have some interesting guests, music, talk, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's first Friday, so uh, also Bishop will be here at 3 o'clock. We're here at 4 and Bill and George at 6 o'clock, so come back then. Have a great rest of your day, my friends. My name is Jim Manfredonia. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And God love you. Uh...